there comes a moment in every person's life. For many of us, it happens in our 20s, but everyone's a little bit different. This moment where we realize that we will no longer get in trouble for the things that our parents never found out about. And it's this amazing moment of freedom where we, you know, you grow up, kind of grow up with this list in your back pocket of all the things you did that your parents never caught on to and all the things you got away with and they never, you know, they never quite figured it out. And then when you get into your 20s, you're like, wait a minute. I can tell them these things, and they can't do anything about it. And so I remember that moment when I was in my 20s. I was married, you know, I was kind of sitting with my parents, and I'm like, I'm kind of an adult now. Hey, Dad, you remember that one time when the, the car, like the back window just broke, and we never figured it out how, and you asked me how the back window broke, and I told you, I don't, I don't know. I didn't see anything. You remember that? My BB gun. And we could go on telling stories. I have to keep things short today. But you could go on and tell stories about, oh, you remember that one time? You had no idea what happened? Well, that was me. I was playing with fire. You know, you know and I told you I wasn't there, but I was there. And so you can go on and on and on. And I just love tormenting my parents with that. Like, I've got something against them that they're not aware of, which is pretty cool. But it goes both ways. It goes both ways. Because when you get to that age in life, they start to do the same to you. But usually it's like in a helpful way. Because they say to you, hey, you remember that one time that we talked about moving and we almost pulled the trigger? Well, here's the real reason why we almost had to move. It was not a good time for us. We didn't want to tell you because you were too young, but here's why. Remember why we always loved your brother more than we loved you? Well, <laughs> it's because he was younger and he deserved it. You, you, can, you, you probably have these examples too of, where you got to share your list with maybe your siblings or your parents. They got to share their list with you of, of things that happened. And especially if you can go back to your childhood home and hear these stories, these stories being told, you might use a phrase that's quite common in English where we say, man, if only these walls could speak. Imagine the memories, the experiences, all the things that happened within the walls of your childhood home. If only they could speak to tell their story. Today is part six in our Nehemiah series where we're going through the life of a man who lived in about 450 B.C. He was the cupbearer to the, to the king of Persia, but he decided to travel as a Jew. He decided to travel about 800 miles to Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls of his, uh, his country, his people's historical capital. And he goes down there, and, and as he does this, he's, he's engaging the people to help build the wall, help build the wall, because this was like the symbol of the Jewish culture and the Jewish people. And so by this time in this series, basically all you need to know is that Nehemiah has worked through a lot of obstacles. He's faced a lot of opposition, a lot of criticism. But now, by, by the time we get to chapter 8 of Nehemiah, the wall is finished. And I think Ben mentioned this last week or two weeks ago. It only took them 52 days to rebuild over two miles of wall, which was amazing. So much so that you might be left wondering, wow, if only those walls could speak. In their day, in their age, with their technology, they did this amazing feat. Man, if only those walls could speak. And what we're going to see today is this simple truth. Here's, here's where I'm going. Those walls would have been useless if there was no life in the city. 
Building walls would have been useless if that was the end goal. Yay, we have walls. But the walls were not the goal. It was life within the walls that needed to happen. And as we take this next step through the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is going to show us what the walls would have said when life started to happen within that city. Here's the interesting thing I found. As I dug into this, I'm like, wait a minute. This is like exactly what happens in God's church today. If these walls could speak, or as we build a new building, as those walls will eventually speak, what is it that gives life to his church? We're going to see four things today that Nehemiah helps unfold as we dig into chapter 8. And I'll tell you what, as much as this guides us as a church, this is going to rattle you when it comes to what the walls teach you, or what the walls would say, in your own home. So we're jumping into Nehemiah chapter 8, and here's how he sets the stage. So what happened was this. When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, they're done building the wall, now they're settling in the area, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. So before the 70s. Some of you are too young to recognize that. I'm too young. I, just, I learned history. So basically, long story short, they had finished the walls. The people are settling. Nehemiah says, mm, we, we need to fill in this city. We've got beautiful walls, but we need people to live in it. There has to be life. And so all the people gather together. They start to get settled. And they gather as one before this gate in the city of Jerusalem. Now just picture this. They're looking all around, and they're seeing these beautiful big walls all finished, and they've got to be thinking, now this is something. I wonder who built this all. And this is where the story could go in a bunch of different ways. You know, if if I was there or if you were there, you might think, okay, Nehemiah is going to pause and put up a bunch of in-memory plaques for all the people who built this wall, all right, in memory of the Smith family, in memory of the Joshua family, and thankful to this family for doing this. And in, in today's culture, we might take time to thank those people, commemorate them, put up plaques. I don't know how plaques ever became a thing. Like, why do they have plaques in churches? I don't know. But we put plaques up and, and remember people that way, which is great. But what they do first to create life within the walls is so much different. And it speaks so much into what our walls should say for us as a church. Here's what happened. So they told, the whole people, they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. You might think, okay, that's kind of crazy. First of all, the reason Ezra was a teacher of the law is because no one was better than Ezra. You got it. And the other thing is, Ezra was in this position where he was kind of the person who handled this. They didn't have lots of apps back then. They didn't have a bunch of Bibles. There was one person, one book, or maybe a few, but he would be responsible for taking care of it. And so they said, Ezra, bring out this book for us. In, in today's language, do you know what they were asking? Could you read us some Bible stories? We want to hear the Bible. In today's language, that's what they were asking. We want to read the Bible. And do you know why they asked him to read it? This is so earth-shattering. They asked him to read it because they wanted to hear it. Write that down. They wanted to hear it. 
here finally, they're entering this city, and up until this point, they've just been assimilated into Persia, and before that, they were assimilated into Assyria, before that, assimilated into Babylon. These were a conquered people who had lost their identity. They didn't know which language was the right language, which culture was the one they were supposed to follow. But now with this city and the walls being rebuilt, they're like, wait a minute. We're not Assyrians. We're not Persians. We're none of them. We are descendants of Abraham. And if we remember right, there was this story about how God gave our nation. He established our nation under his divine law code. We need to figure out what that is. Suddenly, as they remembered who they were, they said, Ezra, please remind us. Please teach us. Would you read us from the Bible? And these were the laws of Moses, uh, the, the commands that God had given Moses to establish this nation. Now, as I thought about this, you know, they had this desire to read the Bible. And for Christians today, we have even a bigger reason to read the Bible. You know, we have the finished story. All they had was a glimpse of laws that kind of foreshadowed a Savior who would keep all of them. We have the full story of how Jesus kept them and how Jesus defeated death and how he rose again for you. We've got the whole story. Who wouldn't want to read that? But what I hear time and time again from people is that it can be hard to read the Bible. It can be difficult. And... As you get into that here, I'll just, I'll just be honest with you guys. I'm a pastor. I'm paid to read the Bible. But there can be days, weeks, where I just, I'm just like, you know what? I'm too busy. I'm not going to read it today. And then the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And it, and it, and it starts to, to go on and on and on. And whenever we gather people together, we hear this too. It's hard to, to keep reading the Bible. And so I thought about that. Why is it so hard for us to do this and to make this a regular discipline or a habit? And I thought hard into the depths of the recesses of the human soul and all the things that might stand against us. And I came to this earth-shattering conclusion, which is number one on your sheet. When you don't want to read the Bible, you don't really read the Bible. When you don't want to read it, you don't really read it. And you know what? Sometimes if we open up the Bible and we make ourselves read it, but then we get a few paragraphs or a few chapters and we're like, I have no idea what I just read. Well, maybe you, you don't really read the Bible when you just don't want to read the Bible. There's this desire that's missing from us. So how do you counteract that? Well, here's what I found helpful for me, maybe helpful for you too. When it comes to reading the Bible, and I use an app, I'll, I'll show it to you at the end or share it with you. Um, I use this app, and the thing is, I could just open it up and bloop, okay, I'm going to read. But if I do that, I don't really want to read it. I'm just making myself read it. Or I'm, here's, here's another thing. Um, sometimes if, if you try to get back into reading the Bible, you're like, okay, I'm going to start reading it. But really all you're looking for is to be entertained. And that word entertain means I want something to keep my attention from drifting away. Netflix is great at entertaining us, right? Oh, man, there's like, what, 15 seconds until the next episode comes on? Who can't see what happens in the part, next part of you know, the episode? Um, Netflix is great. It's, I'm not saying Netflix is bad, but I'm saying in our culture and in our media, it can probably be natural for us to open the Bible expecting to be entertained. And if you do like to take notes, maybe this is one that will help you break that habit. When you open the Bible, don't look to be entertained. Look for investment. Don't look for entertainment. Look for investment. Because here's, 
the healthy way to approach it. Before you even open it, whether it's an app or a physical paper Bible, before you even open it, you just start thinking. Okay, here's what I've got going on today. Got a lot of things coming up, a lot of important things, a lot of good things, and here's some things that might sidetrack me from the important things. Ben talked about that last week. But I've got some things coming up. God, there's probably going to be some opportunities for me to use my strengths today. But there's also going to be some opportunities for me to be tempted in my weaknesses. Now, I think I know what's going to happen today. Some things I control, but a lot of things I don't. And only my Savior knows what I need for that day, for that week, for that year. And boy, I can't wait to see what's going to be in this chapter that I'm about to open. What is he going to share with me? You open the Bible not to be entertained from it, but you open it as an investment for God to work in you the spiritual fruits that you need for that day to honor him and to love other people. Think of it more as an investment, not as entertainment. And in in so doing, you will want to read it. You will want to read it. And that will help you through it. So these people, these, these uh, people in, in Jerusalem, got to get back to them, got to finish their story. So they wanted to hear this word because they had a deep desire to see what God's will was for them and who they were and where they came from and this law of Moses, which had been lost for so long. So they, they bring Ezra up there. But as we get into this next section, just pay attention to the surroundings and to the locations that you're going to see. Here's how it continues. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. So you get the idea. There was this large formal assembly of people who had gathered. And apparently they had like kids fusion going on because it was just the adults and people who could understand. The kids were somewhere else. I'm not sure what they were doing. So youth ministry back then, I'm not sure what it looked like, but here we got the adults. And it goes on. Pay attention to the location. So Ezra read it aloud from daybreak till noon. You guys want to do that sometime? Just have church from daybreak till noon? We'll vote on it at the next meeting. (laughs) He faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. All the people listened attentively to what was going on. Man, it's hard for a uh, sometimes a 20-minute, 30-minute sermon. Five, six hours, they listened attentively. And this was in front of the water gate, which would have provided, as we know, uh, a place on the east side of the city where people could spread out in this wide area with the walls kind of serving to, to move the sound around where everyone could hear. And this was like their little place to gather and assemble inside those walls. And the people are there. They're listening attentively, and and that's not all. Look at what else happens in this place. Verse 4, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. This tells us that they didn't just say, hey, Ezra, we're kind of bored. Could you read us the book? Just tell us some stories. No, they said, we're going to make an event out of this. When you bring out that book to read to us what our God has to say to us, you're going to do so from this platform, which we will build just for this event. And they're like, we want this to be memorable, and we want everyone to be able to see. In fact, verse 5, it shows you that was kind of the intent. Uh, He goes on, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Now, this, this intrigued me growing up because in my, in my church where I grew up in, 
this, the pastor had these magical, magical powers. All he had to do was this, and people would stand. All he had to do was this, and people would sit. So I'm like, I'm going to be a pastor someday. And I thought to myself, I'm going to do this and this and this and this, and they're going to, it's going to be fun. We're going to do the hokey pokey, and you don't even know it. But that's not what Ezra was doing. It's not like Ezra was saying, now you must rise before I read this. No, the people naturally, when they saw him open this book, they stood up, which signified two things. This was their version of being on the edge of their seat, leaned in, getting closer, standing up to hear better. But more than that, this was a sign of honor and respect that they were giving to the words of this book. And they did more than stand. Verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Ezra hasn't even said a word yet. He's like, I'm good at this pastor stuff. Wouldn't it be cool if we could do that? Like before we even start talking about what's in the Bible, we could just start singing and praising. We should try that sometime as a church. Think so? Mark, sound good to you? Fantastic. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, But before they even get into it, they rejoice, they praise, because they know that opening the words of God is something to to take, uh, to uh, be aware of and, and to remember. And just keep in mind their posture throughout this whole thing. What do they believe about the words of this book? What do you think? Yeah, we're going to hear some wisdom. Let's pay attention. It's, it's more than that. They're gathering here to hear this book, and they believe this is the very word of God. And they are already submitting themselves to it before they even hear it. They say it doesn't matter if we understand it. It doesn't matter if we agree with it. This is the word from God in heaven, and we are below it. We will not exert our authority over it. It exerts authority over us. They praised God. They got on their hands and knees, and they honored what they were about to hear. Here's why they did it. Here's why we do it to this day. You see, for them, here's the, this, the interesting thing. When God gave them these scriptures, he did so only after he proved to be trustworthy. God didn't give any scriptures that we know of, at least. He didn't give any scriptures until Moses in 1500 B.C. And by that time, there was a lot of human history behind Moses that had to be accounted for, which is why we get so much history in Genesis. But the the time that Moses received it, the time it was written, was after God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt. And here's why that's significant. You see, these Israelites, these descendants of Abraham, were slaves in Egypt. God came in broke them free through Moses and through a series of plagues. And it was after that that God said, Now do I have your attention. Because I delivered you, these are the words that you are to listen to and to hear and to put into practice. They didn't just hold on to scriptures because they sounded good. They held on to these scriptures because they were redeemed from Egypt. That was where the authority came from. The same is true of you and me. See, we weren't redeemed from Egypt, but we were redeemed from sin and death. Jesus Christ, when he came, he fulfilled everything that Moses talked about. 
And then he died to atone for our sins and for the sins of the world. And then he rose again to prove that he was everything that he claimed to be. See, your faith doesn't depend on you being able to understand a book or defend a book. The authority of the Bible doesn't come from your ability to explain it. Its authority comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who pointed to this book and said, this is the word that testifies about me. I put it this way on your sheets. Number two, the scriptures carry all authority because the tomb of Jesus was left empty. Number two on your sheet, the scriptures carry all authority because Jesus' tomb was left empty. And we we talked about this a few weeks ago. You see, your faith does not rest on a book. Your faith rests on an event, on the resurrection of Jesus. And this book is the authority of God. It's not the foundation of your faith. It's the authority of your faith. That's why we, as a church, submit to this word. We don't need to explain it. We don't need to make it sound good with our culture. We submit to it because this is the word of God. It's given its authority through Jesus' resurrection. If these walls could speak, if the walls in our future building could speak, I would want those walls to say this was a church that didn't just read the word. This is a church that submitted to it because of its authority given by Jesus himself. And it gets better. As as Nehemiah and the people in Jerusalem continue this revival within the walls, here's how it continues in verse 7. So, while the Levites instructed the people in the law, I'm sorry, the Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear, giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. These people listening, they were Jews by nationality, but they had been assimilated into a different culture already. And and there was no longer any centralized uh, form of, of nation for them. So long story short, though they were Jews, they could have been unfamiliar with the Jewish language by now. Though they were Jews, they were definitely starting to drift away from the customs and the culture that defined them as a people. And so as, as Ezra read these things from the book, they had to be thinking, this is really weird. What is he, why are they doing that? That sounds, why are they sprinkling blood there? And all these weird things that would have said, sounded weird to them. And yet, the, the Levites and Ezra and Nehemiah, they took the time to stop and say, this is what it means. Here's the good news for us. You see, when, whenever we bring people into Bethlehem, we, we talk about reading the Bible. And again, without, without any hesitation, people say it's, the book is just hard to read. And you know what? It should be hard to read. The cultures, the languages, the customs have all changed since the Bible was written. It was written for, for cultures and customs centuries and centuries and centuries ago. But before you lose hope and say, well, why even read it? Here's the thing. Here's what was true for Nehemiah and the people. Here's what's true even of us today. Number three on your sheets. Cultures and customs have changed since the Bible was written, but people have not. We still have people problems that they had 3,000 years ago. The beauty is when we dig in and understand the customs and cultures that explain why they did what they did, even today we can pull principles from that that guide our life today because we want to hear what God has to say. 
We want to submit to what he has to say. And we want to understand what, what God wants us to understand. If these walls could talk, this is a church where people read it, where they submit to it, and where they even seek to understand it. But there's one more big step. And it's really cool to see how Nehemiah guided those people back in Jerusalem. Here's what he did, verse 9. Then Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is to be holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And the next sentence tells us why they had to say do not mourn or weep. For all the people had begun weeping as they were listening to the words of the law. They were weeping, not because it was going on so long, but because of the content. As they listened, as they submitted to it, as they started to understand it, they were filled with sadness. And I'll summarize it in two ways. They were afraid of two things happening. Number one, as these words were being read to them, they were, told, they were being told how much they had fallen short of this covenant God had made with them. We've fallen so far. Does God even want us anymore? All these things that he said are good, are right, are holy, we have not been doing those for a long time. They were filled with sadness that maybe they would lose God himself. Perhaps some of them were weeping and sad because they were going to lose something that they were just told that God doesn't want them to love. And now they were sad that they might lose it. And how is this going to affect this relationship? And how do I stop doing that? And they were just filled with this sadness about how can I do this? How can I change? And if they were honest, they would have looked at the walls of Jerusalem, which stood for the strength of the city. And they would have said, if these walls could talk, they would tell the whole world that we as a people are not worthy to be called God's people. Only these walls could talk. And I know in this series we talk about a lot of us as a church and how we're going to be building our new walls soon. But in reality, I think a lot of you know this, church isn't about one building and us getting together uh, once or twice a week. Church, our church at least, is about 450 buildings that you guys call home. Church is the people and church is what happens outside of this place. So here's the question. If, if your walls could talk, what would they say? If your walls could talk, would they say that you are a people worthy of, be, of being called the, the, the people of God? Have you been reading his word? Have you been submitting to it? Have you been seeking to understand it, both for yourselves and for your children? What would your walls say? And if you follow that through, you will soon be weeping also just like the people in Jerusalem. And as bad as we are, not to make light of, of our badness, but the people in Jerusalem with Nehemiah were a lot worse. They, through their own actions and through what happened to them, they had drifted, drifted, drifted so far away. And as Nehemiah stood in front of them, what do you think he would tell them? Go fast. Go put on sackcloth. Go shout for mercy from God and maybe he will relent. 
This is cool. Look at this. Verse 10. This is what Nehemiah tells the people who were upset. He said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. But Nehemiah, we haven't done anything yet to keep this law. He's like, so what? Your joy doesn't depend on your ability to keep the law. Your joy depends on the strength of your Lord, and that is a joy that you have right now. So go celebrate. This is a revival. And we've just taken the first steps of hearing, submitting to, and understanding this word from God. Go celebrate. Go celebrate. And it's the same today. The the reason why we want to read and submit to and understand this word and the reason why you got two crazy pastors who take so much time to explain it to you every week isn't because you need to conform to a certain pattern of life for God to love you. The reason we do it is because when you dig down into your life and really understand what God's will is for you, he begins to change things, not outwardly but inwardly. The change happens in your life when your heart begins to be transformed. And that transformation begins when you hear good news of great joy for all people. That as loud as the walls in your house may be, the cross is even louder. Your sins are forgiven. That brings transformation to your heart, and that brings change in your life. Number four on your sheet. The Bible Bible changes your life by transforming your heart. It starts on the inside and goes to the outside. No other book does that. No other writings can do that. Transformation inside brings change outside. So back in Nehemiah's day, if those walls could talk, they would say, wow, these people, they want to read the word, they want to submit to it, they want to understand it, and they even want to apply it. And I pray, I hope, I think, I trust that God would make the same true of our church. That when he looks within these walls and the walls of our future building, if those walls could speak, what would they say? Last thing on the screen. If, you, if you're a part of the ministry, why don't you read this with me? In other words, if, if you've been here for a while, if you're a member of Bethlehem, if, if you're engaged, if you're taking that next step, uh, could you read these words with me on the screen? This is what the walls would say if they could speak. These people read the Bible, submit to it, seek to understand it, and apply it. And when that happens within the walls of God's church, there is a revival, there is a life and a growth that this world has never seen.